pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And God, now as we approach your word and study uh, what you have spoken to us, I just pray that we would be opened up to hearing what you would have to say to us, that we would receive more of your love by way of just growing deeper in our understanding of what the good news of you, Jesus, means. And so God, open up our ears and our hearts and our minds. And Lord God, would you uh, speak through me now. Holy Spirit, would it be you at work in this room right now? And we give this over to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Good to be with you all today. And uh, today we're going to be jumping into a new series. You see it up here, the gospel past, present, and future. And really, if there was one subject that I think we need to talk a little bit more about as a church, it's the gospel. Now, I know as a, a Christian group, we might use this word a lot. We might say the word gospel on a Sunday morning. We might sing about it. We might talk about it or throw that word around in community groups or perhaps the other odd place throughout our lives. But despite our frequency of using that word, I don't think we always necessarily know what it means or the depth of what it means, nor do I think we really actually consider very often how it applies to the whole of our lives. Oftentimes we talk about this word gospel being the good news. And we're, when we say that, we're talking about the good news of who Jesus is. And so we often talk about the gospel or the good news of Jesus in the past tense. What Jesus once did or what Jesus once did for me. And how one day in the past in my life... I encountered the gospel and was changed, but then we don't really move on sometimes from that place. And so as we go through this series, we're going to be wrestling with what does the gospel mean for a past? Because that's crucial, very vital in importance to all people of all times, of all generations, of all places. But also, what does it mean really right now for us in the present? And what's it going to look like one day in the future? And what is the gospel going to mean for eternity? And I'm really excited for that message in particular. So I encourage you, over the month of September, come sort of back to school with us here at Emmanuel, looking at what the gospel can mean for all of these things. Now, as we go through this series, we're actually going to stay camped out in one passage of scripture. And from there, we will springboard out into a few other places to sort of expand on the topics that we're looking at. But we're really going to stay centralized for the whole month. And so if you're looking for maybe what you could do devotionally for the month of September, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Peter. And we're going to be looking in particular at 1 Peter chapter 1, Today we'll look at verses 1 to 9, but over the coming weeks we're going to be looking specifically at verses 3 to 9 sort of over and over and over again because we'll see today and through these weeks how this passage speaks about what the good news of Jesus means for our past, for our present, and for our future. And so if you will with me, let's uh, walk through this these verses, reading them together. If you've got a Bible, great, follow along. If not, you got the screens up here. If you don't own a Bible at all, there's a bunch in the front entrance. Feel free to grab one. Uh, it's our gift to you. You can take it. You can keep it. If you don't know where First Peter is, uh, Shelly at the Connect Desk will help you find it, and then you can put a bookmark there for the coming weeks. But let's read First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 9 together. 
It says to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now I'm going to actually stop right here for a moment because this is just going to emphasize one little point. Sometimes, as I said, we we think about the gospel being, what does Jesus mean for, for making our life new? And so as Christians, we sometimes think of the gospel as being something for non-Christian people, for people who have yet to encounter Jesus and follow him. And we say, okay, the gospel's for those people out there. But look at who Peter is writing to in here. He's writing specifically to God's elect. And that's his way of saying to Christian people, to my brothers and sisters who are following Jesus, I'm writing to you. And in particular, he's writing to this group of exiles. The early church wasn't particularly well-loved by the Jewish people, by the Roman Empire, and so they were scattered all over by the time Peter writes this because of their faith. They have dispersed to all these different provinces, and now they're living and trying to figure out what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus, for me to cling to this good news of Jesus in every circumstance. And Peter says, there's a lot here for you. And by extension for us as followers of Jesus, there's something for us to carry us through in every situation. So Peter says this, to God's elect, exiles scattered, who have been, in verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. He goes on, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice all the different tenses and times that he's talking about. He says, in all this, you're going to greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These things have come so that your proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a whole lot here, and again, we're going to unpack this over the next number of weeks. But for today, where I'm hoping we'll land in order to launch us into this series is just with a a, a somewhat more robust, a better answer to the question, what is the gospel? Since it's back to school time, let's do a a back to school exercise that's everybody's favorite, pop quiz. All right, so everyone grab out a piece of paper, put your name in the top right corner, and uh, you're going to answer some questions. Then No, we're not going to make you pass it back. You can keep the grades to yourself. But, but for just a moment, I want you to answer the question in, in the quiet of your own mind. How would I define the gospel? I've given you a little piece. It's the good news of Jesus. But what is the gospel? 
What does gospel mean to you? What are the different facets of the gospel for your past, for where you're at today, and, and maybe for the future you're hoping for? What's the gospel? Well, today we're going to look at the gospel in seven points. Who got seven things in their definition of the gospel? Probably not many of us. Maybe some of us had more. I landed on seven. I see a hand over there. I love it. We got seven over here. I love it. Seven, good biblical number. Uh, so we're going to go from there. But th this passage in many ways gives us seven things that the gospel is. Seven things that the gospel is for us to understand a little bit more about what it is and how it's going to impact us and how we're going to study moving forward. The very first one, though, we see, or one of the first ones we see is that the gospel is a historical event. In verse 3, we read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through a historical event through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a lot of people that have good news for us. And sometimes it's someone selling us something and they want us to buy into a concept or, or give in to some possible new theory of something that might give us a little bit of hope for our lives or a cure to some ailment. And, you know, sometimes throughout history, people have given us even stories that are supposed to teach us in, in form of mythology that are supposed to give us hope and give us good news. But the good news of the gospel, of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, is that it's not just a concept. It's not just a theory. It's not just an interesting legend or myth that can teach us a good story. It's a historic event that took place a little over 2,000 years ago. It's substantiated by historians throughout time in different places who have affirmed the fact that Jesus was a man who was crucified under Roman occupation after he'd been turned over by Jewish leaders of his day. And this isn't something we just believe in because the Bible tells us so, but it's also corroborated by things outside of the Bible. There's writers who were not Christians who had other agendas to push forward who were able to say, hey, there was this guy, Jesus. He did live. He did die at the hands of the Romans. And greater yet, we have over 500 witnesses who were able to say, we also saw him come back from the dead. The Bible includes many of these names so that people in the first century could go and validate it and challenge it. And we're in a good place now where we know that they weren't able to debunk it or find some body of a dead guy named Jesus. But in fact, there were people who lost their lives because they were supposed to protect this body. But this body was not found in a tomb. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that is very good news. It means everything that we've read up to this point, everything we've studied in Scripture, everything that has been told to us by Jesus is, in fact, true. And we see that this is also a great thing because this historic event is actually all part of a plan. The gospel is part of God's plan from eternity past. 
Sometimes people look at the story of Jesus and they go, well, man, this guy is a wimp. What happened? He made poor choices. That's why he got executed. But in fact, we see in verse 2 that this is all part of what God is doing. He said, who have been, he's speaking to God's people, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, which tells us that God had a plan in what he was doing. The good news for those who will accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior is that he was always working towards this. Before you or I ever took a single breath, or in fact, before anyone took a breath on planet Earth, God was orchestrating something. The gospel is powerful because we see that it's woven through history all the way from eternity past to the future. In fact, this is one of the reasons God has given us his Bible. This is why we talk about this all the time when we're talking about the gospel. Because the Bible is part of God's gift to us as part of his plan so we can know where he's been and where he's going. The whole Old Testament, the first part of the Bible before Jesus tells us the story about how God had created people to worship him and be with him and so he could love them and care for them and then we went away from him and then tried to do it on our own. We see through generation after generation of people trying to get life right on their own. And sometimes God comes along and even gives them a helping hand or acquiesces to one of their requests and says, sure, I'll go along with you. Give it a go. What happens? Time after time after time, we screw up. We fail. And so God in his wisdom and his goodness says enough is enough. Now's the time, and he comes down to earth. And so we have the Gospels, four accounts from eyewitnesses, and they're the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because they're sharing the good news from their perspective, and they share all about how Jesus helped fulfill these things, how Jesus was over and above any excuse, any problem, any situation that had gone on in the Old Testament that he'd come to be a solution, and that he had accomplished it. And then we see that God didn't just leave it there and say, okay, you can meet Jesus now, but he goes on through the rest of the New Testament to tell us what it's going to look like, how this can play out. This is what all the letters that we read are all about. It's to tell us about how we can now take this good news and apply it to our lives. Because God's got a plan for our lives. That's part of the good news. God has more in store for the situations we find in ourselves in. That's good news. And better yet, it's not just going to be for today, but it's going to be for the future. So we see that this is all part of God's plan, that it was a historic event, and that in that historic event, we see what else the gospel is. It's an achievement the reason the good news is so good is because Jesus accomplished something in his death and resurrection. The truth is, you and I, without faith in Jesus, are dead. Sure, we might be physically alive, but we're all dead inside until God does something new. Because as God revealed to us as part of his plan in these things we call the scriptures, we have all gone our own way. And as we've done wrong, the things the Bible calls sin, we've separated ourselves from God because God is perfect. 
God is blemish-free. God hasn't screwed up. He's not missed the mark. He's done what is right from the beginning of time, and he will do so to the end. And so we're separated from him because I think if he's perfect, we could all agree we're not. And so our lives, though we are physically alive, without Jesus will one day come to an end where we will be spiritually dead for an eternity. And that's the way things were for that very long time. But the good thing is that God did intervene, that he did come intercede for us. And so God came down in the flesh as Jesus, God the Son, and he lived the life you and I could never live. Perfect. Error-free. Made the right decisions all the way until he was wrongfully executed. But that was part of the plan. That was part of the plan so he could die in our place. He could die the death that you and I all deserve to experience. And this is beautiful. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul will write that while we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. And this was God's display for his love for us. In Romans 5, it says, because we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's his love. This is what he's come to do. He's come to be our substitute, to die in our place, to succumb to the death so that he could also overcome it. No one had yet to do that before Jesus. No one could, even though Jesus one time raises Lazarus back from the dead, we see that Lazarus goes back into the grave. But Jesus, when he raises back to life, does not die once again, but he ascends up to be with the Father in heaven. And in doing so, he achieves a path for us to follow. He brings us a way to circumvent the, circumvent the permanent spiritual death that you and I deserve, an achievement that we could never pay for. And so there's this achievement, but then there's also an invitation. The gospel is an invitation in to something better. In verses 4 and 5, it talks about an inheritance which is kept for us through faith. There was a huge sacrificial system that was set up, and we read about in the Old Testament, of people trying to pay their way and pay the price for their ability to be in relationship with God, for them to circumvent this death that they all deserve that we all deserve but it was never enough because people would keep screwing up and they would keep paying and it would keep costing them and they'd keep investing and they so desperately wanted something and so when jesus came he took away the payment that was required he was the perfect sacrifice he paid the ultimate price so that we no longer have to pay anything we don't have to live a good perfect life we don't have to invest a certain dollar amount into the church we don't have to serve a certain amount of hours in our community so that we can be sentence free instead all we have to do is come to jesus and say i want to trust in you i want to take you up on your offer i want the invitation to come on in and jesus after all his heavy lifting just welcomes us this is a beautiful opportunity for every 
single person. Some of us have taken it. And it's such a gift. It changes our life. And we'll get to that in a moment. But for some of us here, perhaps you're in a place where you have not yet listened to the invitation that is offered to you. God says, you screwed up. You've gone the wrong way. And try as hard as you might, you have found that you will never get there. But I love you. So I've come for you. So I've come to this place to die in your place so that you can come with me into God's presence. Some of us feel how C.S. Lewis once described it. He said, we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. He says the reason for that is that the most probable explanation is that we were made for another place. You were made to be in relationship with God, and he desires you to come to him. If as we walk through this journey of looking at the good news of Jesus, if you come to a place where you find yourself drawn in, you find yourself in a place wrestling with the things that you've clinged to, the ways you've tried to pay forward the life that you're hoping will end you somewhere, and you find that that leaves you hanging, I would encourage you to listen to the invitation of Jesus. Come all who are weary and heavy burden, for I will give you rest. Without Jesus, your life will be a disaster, but with him, things will be truly changed. And that's what it means when Peter says in verse 3 that Jesus takes us from death to life. God doesn't just tinker with us. We're not just a broken toy that he wants to put together. He takes something that is broken and completely dead, and he renovates it into something new. He gives new life that he breathes to our inside if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. How do we put our faith and trust in Jesus? Well, thankfully, he gave us another answer in his word. He's told, tells us that if we would confess our sins, if we would admit that we've done wrong, that we failed, that our road has left us to, has led us nowhere in particular, if we do that and trust in what God's done, through Jesus, if we believe in that and try to follow him, that he will be faithful and good to us. He will extend his forgiveness. He will give us a new life and not just give us a new life to try again, but he will adopt us into his family for all of eternity. And so there's a lot of good news for every single one of us. But after this has taken place, after we've come to a place where we have come to faith in Jesus, it doesn't end there. We see in verse 5 that the gospel has application going forward. It says, you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The gospel doesn't just save us from our sin, it, but it gives us a way to follow Jesus and to endure everything that we would face. This was really good news for Peter's first readers of his letter. They were in exile. They were being persecuted. Some of them were being hunted down to be killed or at best imprisoned. 
For him to say that God is here to shield us tells us that there is something incredible that happens when we encounter the good news of Jesus in our day-to-day life, even in the most difficult of circumstances. That's what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks' time, and, and I hope you join us for that, because I think a lot of us, as we walk through the Christian life, feel awful beat up. We feel awful beat up because we just know all our shortcomings, and sometimes if we're honest, and I've been accused of this, sometimes you come to church and I beat you up, right? I tell you where perhaps we've, we, we've, you've fallen short and every week you go, man, Kyle's got something else for us in terms of application that I'm just not going to get to. And I'll tell you, I feel that way as I open up God's word and, and prepare messages. Very regularly I sit there and I go, oh man, I have screwed up again. But the good news is that that's not really the invitation God invites us into. He invites us into a new and better way, and he invites us into a place where we are shielded by him from shame and guilt and oppression. So the gospel is for the past, it's for the present, and then we see that Peter moves forward and he says the gospel is a promise of hope. In verse 7 to 9, he talks about how one day we will receive the end result of our faith, that one day we'll achieve all of or experience all of what is coming with the salvation of our souls. One day we will be with the fullness, with a full understanding of who God is. As I said, this is something that I am really excited about. This summer, I had an opportunity to to go away to a camp, and one of the speakers spoke about how the gospel impacts us in the future, and it really struck a chord for me. Because I often don't think a lot about the future, and oftentimes when I think about the future, it's awfully dim and grim. But as I encountered the message that we hear in the gospel for our future, I think there's a whole lot to look forward to. And so I encourage you to come back for that. But finally, the seventh thing that we see the gospel is, is that the gospel is ultimately a way to come into relationship with God. Well, it's not stated exactly like that in these few first verses. We'll see that Peter will go on in chapter 3 and say, Christ suffered for our sins... He is righteous for us as unrighteous so that he can bring us to God. The end goal of the good news of what Jesus has accomplished isn't that we get to a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not that we don't go to hell one day. It's not that we, we, we get something that's going to give us a little bit of encouragement along the way as we struggle through life. No, all those things are just benefits added on to the fact that we get to know God. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to know the fullness of his love for you. 
This is why Jesus came and gave his life and experienced death and separation from the Father so he could be resurrected. It's why he left us. It's why he ascended back to heaven and gave us his Holy Spirit that we've been studying about over the past number of months in the book of Acts. It's why eventually Jesus will return to earth again. It's all so that we can be with him. The God who created the universe orchestrated a master plan of good news so he could be with you. This is what we celebrate. This is what we should build our lives upon because that is the gospel truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an invitation to come on in to know you. God, I thank you for the stories. As I look around this room this morning, I see so many faces and, and know where you have taken people from death to life. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we can be gathered together today so that as we look at, at one another, we can see more of you. And that we can be welcomed in to, to be more amazed by who you are and the, the capabilities of your, of your love. God, we thank you that, that we don't just worship a God who's off in the distance, but that we worship you who have come close down to earth. You've walked upon this very earth. You've breathe the very air we breathe into your lungs you've exhaled it and and, and lord you've drank our water you've ate our food and, and god you have existed and lived through everything every high and every low and then at the end of all that that you would die for us god we are so unworthy but man god i thank you for it i thank you that you never abandon us and that you give us hope god i pray for every person here who may find themselves hopeless they may find themselves wondering what good is life or where are these things going god i pray that they would encounter you if there's anyone here today lord god who, who who's in a place where where they know that this wrestle with you has to stop lord i pray that they would just be able to release whatever it is that they're hanging on to and grab a hold of you. We thank you that you've extended your hand to us and as we take it, Lord God, we look forward to knowing you more. So God, now as we sing these songs, God, I pray that they would excite us, that they would encourage us with more of the gospel truth. And Lord, for those who, who maybe are struggling today, would, would the voices of those around them sing over them? And would we be lifting one another up as we declare who you are and we sing about your victory and, and how great your love is? So Lord God, we pray now in these moments that you would be glorified and that we would grow greater in your gospel truth. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.